you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. And it's interesting you put dinosaurs because I was going to mention the pictures from the Webb Telescope, which is essentially seen back in time. Yeah. It's, I have just on the surface of what's available, I browse through the first 10 or something like that, but they keep releasing things that are just magnificent and such clarity and such things we've never seen before. And that's what a, a wonderful chance for the public to get educated about how big the universe is and how that's how space works, time works, that we're seeing things that are like, they don't exist anymore. We're seeing things from millions, billions of years ago. I've lost track of what its real range is. It's, well, it saw the first, or it saw a star that is now, we see the star in the sky with telescopes or whatever, the light's there, but the telescope saw it gone, burnt out, done. So yeah. to think about that's time travel. That really is time travel. Yeah, yeah. It, I, there, I, we've talked about a little this before. I, is there something very cool about how mankind keeps expanding its senses? You know what I mean? That yeah. at first it was, I, some people have better eyesight than others. And then there was actually monoculars and binoculars that using lenses would be able to do that. And microphones that can capture yeah. from far away. Yeah. And just pirates. <laughs> that's very cool that we have that desire. You know what I mean? influence not only listen to and have our senses expand but then influence the world around us so how can i throw something far away whether it's the i don't know a high light right <laughs> is that what's called a cesta i think the cesta is good anyway I, I lose track of my my, uh, my sports firms you and i are such sport heads as sports you know <laughs> and just shooting I, I think i mentioned i've only been shooting a couple times in my life but there really is a cool feeling for being able to be 20, 30, 50 yards away and go blink and touch that thing. Yeah. And with accuracy, I'm actually a pretty good shot with a 22 rifle. I couldn't believe how good I was. I was getting like 28 out of 30 and stuff like that. So nice. whatever that, the steadiness, the squeeze, the however my eyes work that really isn't off or something like that. And as things got heavier, I wasn't so good about big guns. They got away from me that they had so much recoil. Yeah. And, and but where it felt like I could still be in control and you can do that little out breath and all that stuff. I really was, this is cool. Blink. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially when you're here and you get that first taste though, there's that little bit of time in between shooting and then hearing the metal target go, I, I don't know. I'm sure I'm not explaining it beautifully, but that is interesting. And I understand shooting more having done it now than I ever did before. It never occurs to me, and we, maybe we've talked about this a little bit before, I was happy with shooting milk container or a metal target. It never occurs to me to shoot a living thing. Some, that's an important thing. It goes back to hunting days and stuff. And if I depended on that to feed my family, I'd become pretty good with a bow and arrow and with a rifle and all that kind of stuff really quick. But I, I don't get that nowadays. That's not sport and... 
pleasant to me, it's really hard for me to say, hey, sorry that you wandered into my field of vision, bunny, but blam. I've uh, played the video games with the guns and the hunting and all that. I, I've shot the Terminator robots. I've shot the dinosaurs. I've done all those, but I've done the Cabela ones where you're hunting moose or elk or something, but I have absolutely no desire to go do it in real life. I like doing shooting. I find it interesting. So with the telescope, now that we can see these galaxies, and that's the coolest thing about that telescope is you're not seeing a star, you're seeing a galaxy and what exactly. that, yeah. And it's so cool. But so are we going to get like the space? numbers are so big. Yeah. has millions of stars. And there's millions of galaxies, and that's just like the multipliers go real big real quick to say right. how big the universe is. <laughs> right. I'm sure we got somebody out there going, yeah, that's fake. That's just a made-up, photoshopped picture. That doesn't really exist. <laughs> we, we only have our flat Earth and nothing else. Whatever that level of limitation or cowardice or whatever it is to make it that I don't believe that we can, that the universe is really that big. And like, how does it ever matter that you even use the word believe in that sentence? Here's the instrument. Here's the data. Here's the everything. And you just, it seems mentally ill to say, nope, not my reality. It's just, <laughs> yeah. sorry, I just, that's just so weird to me. Like, what, whatever occurs to you that's threatening to you? That's something that's a, you have to reject it because it doesn't fit your worldview. I just, I'm so happy to get bigger, more to know about. And then in, in the randomness of it, all these things are just amazing cosmic forces, random. But then we, of course, see things in them because that's how we're programmed. And so here's the, what is it? The Pillars of Hercules. Here's the Crab Nebula. And, and I'm not naming any of the new ones. They're already come up with cool new names for cool new features. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love that. I love that we put our own art into it, our own sense of, wow, that's similar to a an anemone or something like that right right that's cool that we almost feel compelled to do that to name it to, well, to describe it as similar so there, there was a movie maybe it was interstellar i don't remember where they showed the galaxy and they showed multiple galaxies and it was like each little point was a galaxy and they just showed these expansive galaxies it looked like stars but it was just and they were like moving they're talking about the giant black hole. I think it might have been interstellar. Yeah. And it was just amazing. It's like, okay, they made it up for the movie. But that was what it looks like when they're discovering all this. We can't even fathom how big it is. You, you go to the right. beach, and they always talk about the sands on the beach. There's more galaxies, and each galaxy has more stars than the sand on this beach. How can you even comprehend that in our little old brain? Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that we see similar patterns that's that there's spirals versus and i'm trying to think there's four types of galaxies there's the discs and that kind of stuff and of course it's 2d to us if you will but it's not it's really 3d but how we interpret it and then it's, if you will the argument about intelligent design it's like somebody must have been involved and said i don't it doesn't have to be a god to make the same cosmic forces have shaped those kinds of things and not to be weird but God plays favorites. I like spirals. I'm a little kid with a sand, you know, a bucket of sand, and I'm going to make the same pattern because I like mazes. I like spirals. I like whatever else it is. Well, just that seems a little weird, bigger jump than I would make over. I could just appreciate that's forces are either radiative or they're if they're moving a little bit and there's gravity involved. You could see that's how they would shape up. Or it's just the basic building blocks of the computer simulation that has been built that we're in. 
you could use that argument for various. I've seen, of course, the funny memes along those lines. That the problem with the Webb Telescope is that now we're overburdening the universe and having to provide us with more to make it seem as if it's still real, even though it's right. only a simulation. Now there's more processing power and data that we have. Right. To now, I did once, and I forget where I read this, but it was they found galaxy that was a ring of stars and the center was nothing. It was just a ring. But then so much further away, they found another one. So what they hypothesized was that eons ago, another galaxy like went through the center of that galaxy and left it as a ring. And I'm like, that's just, how do you even <laughs> fathom that? So these right. millions of oh, stars went galaxy. through these other millions of stars and cut a <laughs> hole like a donut. That's uh, right. He's a man. How do you even think about that? And it has to be so far away to even see it that we're never going to get there. It just blows your mind. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a jump here. Uh, we just had to miss a uh, colloquium because we didn't go to the annual gathering, the immense annual gathering. And this year's topic was very interesting on giftedness through the lifeline, through the timelines. That, that really is we spent a lot of time in society about, hey, are there gifted children? That's actually a common term. And measuring IQ and what do you do with it in your career and stuff like that. But it pretty much talks about, here's all the various different issues that confront you when you're a tiny tot until you're an 80-year-old. You know what I mean? If you're still around and still brighter than the average bear, what have you done now that you've done a lot in your life? What do you still find interesting? Or how do you still keep your mind supple and stuff like that? And the reason for mentioning all that was, the Mensa colloquia are really a cool thing. The, the public perception, perhaps, or the stereotype of Mensa is that we sit around solving quadratic equations and demonstrating our vocabulary and stuff like that. But once in a while, we really do smart stuff that's really impressive. We, there was a cosmology colloquium 15, maybe going on 20 years ago, that really had the heavyweights in the field there. It was Brian Greene who invented superstring theory, and it was Lee Small. And I wish you remember her last name, Vera, who is the lady. And I should just say scientist, but she's distinguished because she's a lady. And most people like don't give lady scientists enough credit who had either invented the idea of dark matter or was the first one to like say, here's how it all works, that 99% of what's out there, you really can't see. But in order to balance out Einstein's equations so that the universe really is expanding and it all works together like we currently have as best theory, there has to be dark matter and dark energy that are operating on things that we don't have the instruments to pick up on. And so it's just how cool to be in a room full of people. That's their life is right. thinking of the universe really exists in 10 dimensions. Or the reason that's not a repeat, that's not a good theory is because it's not science. Lee Smolin's big thing was science is experimentation, hypothesis, experimentation, coming to conclusions, refining your results. You can hypothesize all you want, but we got the one universe. You can't set up a second universe to say, well, what if it was only nine dimensions? And then how would that work? <laughs> so it was great to have a very learned critic, a very learned show me guy that was saying, that's really a nice, not even hypothesis. Don't use an overload a scientific term in a way that it shouldn't be. You've got, I guess a theory might be a workable word there, but how are you ever going to test that? It matches enough of existing observation, but you can't perturb the system in a way that you would say, well, now does it explain it? Now does it predict it? Well, the various different things about science is explanation and then okay. prediction. And But it was very cool to have everybody there also. I'm, Jesus, I'm not a, a, an astrophysicist, but people with enough brain power that they could keep up, uh, up with 
people who were trying to explain those things and not just have their eyes glaze over, that you had the questions asked during the Q&A were really interesting and intelligent. There's nobody that's as smart as an entire room full of Bensons. They might be specifically very bright, but the collective brain power of people that dabble, that study, that are interested in this, it was just such a cool tour de force of the joy of smartitude. That is fun to get into. We get into as much of the nonsense puns and riddles as we do real stuff like that. And it's true. You get a room full of Mensons, you'll never get a group much smarter than that. NASA probably gets groups together and stuff like that. But you will also never get a more autistic collective person than a room full of Mensons. Because that might be. But that wasn't a limiting factor at all. The fact that we're talking about these wonderful big series, it doesn't matter that you don't get social cues or that you might not <laughs> care about how you dress. It matters that your brain can handle Everybody's there for the one thing. You know, exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying that in a negative way at all. I've been yeah. paying attention that I think that some of the ways we're changing and evolving, this is, they've talked about autism is kind of a, a next level. It's not a problem. It, people view it as there's a problem. They view it as there's something wrong. It's not necessarily, it's another sidestep of evolution, not our complete line of humanity, but another, we got, we've had people that had to be strong to fight the saber-toothed tigers, to build the houses and that, and, but we're getting beyond that. So we got this next thing. And I did just hear an NPR thing on a TED talk where they've restarted thinking about redefining their view of evolution, that Evolution doesn't always take millions of years. They said they have seen uh, species of insects evolve in 20 generations. That like from start to finish. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So evolution is not necessarily what we've thought about up to yeah. this point. It's kind of funny. That's a big, interesting discussion. I would suggest that maybe we've always had non-normative people. And that because even back when we were fighting saber-toothed tigers, we had to have the people that were like, how do the seasons work? How should I prepare for yes. what I know is coming? And that they were able to see those patterns more fully, quicker, more deeply, whatever else it might be, and in a way of explaining that to others. So you, already, you, you had brain work people as well as physical work people from the start. And it might be that they've gotten famous now, the Galileo, the first people, right. or Hermicus was like, maybe the Earth is the not the center of the universe. Maybe we orbit the sun. And Let's kill them. <laughs> there's a certain part of the population that's like, that doesn't fit with what I'm at. So I, the, what you just said about, you know, like, I have, I've always had that weird pattern finding ability. Maybe that's part of solving puzzles. Maybe that's part of, but the real difficulty nowadays is what you, what you just talked about. It's very weird to be Cassandra all the time. To be like, wow, 20 years ago, I said, this isn't going to end well. And that even if you work to try to not have it be that we're just not going to believe in client science. We're just not going to believe in you know, it. the number of times that, that happens in small term and long term. Like if you're just driving in traffic and you see something forming up and it's that looks like it could be bad. And if this particular thing happens, you're going to get real bad. I'll just get over here to the left. But you notice that there's like you and maybe two others that are doing something to get out of that situation. Everybody else is not thinking about it or they haven't judged it in the same way you have or whatever. So long ago, I did a talk about just all the ways in which like intelligence is actually a very handy thing 
because instead of it being a single use skill, it's kind of like a computer. A computer isn't about right. the silicon in it. It's about all the different apps that you can load onto it and how it can take on all these various different guises and purposes. There's never a time when I'm not using my smarts. If I'm shopping, I'm doing math calculations. If I'm in traffic, I'm doing physics and calculations of how fast and how many and for a hundred different objects moving around me. If I'm looking out at the weather and you're like going into your bank of how many different skies have I seen and the weather forecast says 55% chance of rain, what do I think? It's funny, I maybe even trivialize it a little bit, but there's never a time when I'm not thinking of how much ice should I put in my drink? So it's just the amount that I want. And I'm continually learning from experience and I'm continually experimenting to see if I don't know, don't decide one way and then do it forever. Keep trying various different things and see what works best. And then you find out, wow, things fizz differently in Denver at a mile high than they do down here at sea level, if you will, in Cleveland. And I love, maybe that's another reason. I know I'm going on a little bit, but don't you get a, a charge out of being surprised? Because if you're always doing that kind of extrapolation and prediction, and then it really fools you. It's how cool that yeah. <laughs> all my, not boredom, but all my, I've gotten used to being able to be most of the time ahead of the world. And then once in a while, the world like pulls the rug out from under me. It's like how wonderfully humbling, how wonderfully there's like a charge, a nice little serotonin burst in your brain of I was wrong. And it's not ego death. It's actually, it's cool that that's pantomiming your way through the world that there's still surprises to be found uh, so was, a good plot in a movie or in a book that really like surprises you right I love that. <laughs> yeah i was just talking to someone last night about how I, I, there's lots of things i don't know and i like to learn i can make some guesses at times but you know i enjoy oh i guess i was wrong that's great i learned something new and it's areas that I don't deal with a lot. Like for this particular thing, it was cars. I was looking up a, a cap for an under the hood fuse relay. And it was on top of the battery. It was like, and I'm like, I have never seen that in my life. But it was just interesting. And there was a, a hose running through it. And I'm like, so I started saying, does the cap have a, a little spot so the hose can run through or did the hose slip over there? Or do we need... And they're like, yeah, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm just (laughs) thinking of these things. But and then they're like, mechanic said, I need to get the cap on it. Or when it rains, it's going to get water. And they're like, how big of puddles are you driving through? Because water (laughs) has to like come up and bounce off the the hood. Reflected back down. Exactly. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, it's just what we have. The mechanic wants you to pay him to do stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. so maybe a segue, because I remember, we, we have, as usual, we have a list of all things we want yes, to get to. Yes, yes. We will. So I just, we watched Carlin, yeah. uh, a documentary about him called American Dreams. And it's funny, as often happens, someone recently posted something along the lines of that there really is sometimes, to me, a big difference between people that are at the top of their game in and the and other accomplished artists, but they're just not the best one. So when I think of authors, and I guess everybody has their criteria for what makes a great author, I love where they have a good vocabulary and really good word choice, and they do, and they say new things. It's not just embrace the tropes and the stereotypes, but that they just write a craft a sentence so beautifully that Colleen and I would be like, listen to this. This is just so perfect. And it's 
I'm thinking of it because I just got a bunch of fun books for Colleen for her birthday. And it's going to be like Christopher Moore, who does that regularly. He writes beautiful sentences. And one of her favorite authors was Kurt Vonnegut. And I just, when I was talking about, I there's Kurt Vonnegut did it. Neil Gaiman does it. There's certain lyricists. It's just, they they're substantially better and different. Alan Moore does it. And George Carlin and a number of stand-up comedians were like, there's always people that can tell jokes or they can make wry observations. But like Stephen Wright and Emo Phillips just hone it down into that perfect, e economic, surprising, Haraprosdokian, left-turn, garden path yeah. type thing. Looking at and everything from the... the... Yeah. Yeah. Or just you listen to George Carlin or Dennis Miller, go on a rant and all the references that they bring in and how they use just the right connotative and denotative words and emotional words and the pacing of it. It's just, it's beautiful. And so watching this documentary about Carlin, hearing him talk about that a little bit, it was affirming to be like, I see what you did. You really were. But, and it wasn't always things appear to him, whole born in his head. They showed him almost taking notes and always that his our specials it were very honed that he wrote a whole bunch of stuff down then you put it together and then you write you tune it and you write it and you try it and you try the order different and all that kind of stuff and so to see that there's real work going into it but the skill of being able to say this isn't quite right i'm not going to leave it alone i'm going to keep playing with it until i get it so that it sings so that it's just perfect and beautiful i hope that i, I try to do that in my writing Sometimes I just throw up into the keyboard and whatever comes out. But sometimes I'll go back and right, that's I could say that better, especially if I'm not doing social media, which is meant to be as if you were there talking. But when I do my presentations, I really try to, and it's funny, I don't write my presentations out. I speak off, off the cuff from an outline, but I'm thinking of particular phrases that I want to use. And then luckily I have enough ability to draw on this whole roster of possibilities that they eventually do come out in the course of the talk and occasionally i'll get to the end and say oh that was a good line that i didn't use i'll use that next time right yeah all, all the time yeah so getting to george carlin and what a like the word genius is often overused but man they had all the other comedians so many of whom i respect saying just look at what he did like there were there have been other great comedians for a while lenny bruce was a breakthrough guy and alan king ruled the bruce all kind of stuff but we're still quoting from and learning from and reverent of George Carlin. And he had a 50-year career. And we're still talking about some of the stuff he did in the 70s, right. 50 years ago. Yeah. That's really amazing because comedy is by almost definition an ephemeral thing, a thing of the times. And you well, can't joke about airplane food anymore like Alan King did because it, the context is gone. The whatever. Carlin, he just said a lot of good, important, and not just big, important stuff, but all those cool little things that he made. Yeah. You can be really high flown and then also talk about farts and they're equally hilarious and equally insightful. You know what? I mean? He's so. he's a definite <laughs> professional, like you said, because he's, working every day. Yep. And that wasn't necessarily slapstick funny at home all the time. This was his job. He treated it like a job and he did it well. And mm -hmm. the insights he had, like you said, were bigger things that are having impact now. He was maybe ahead of his time. I hear so many things he talks about with the government, with politicians, with racism, with right. the abortion. It could be performed today yeah. than it was 25 years ago. That's yeah. Right. So he's 
it was funny the way he tells it, but <clears throat> it's relevant to today. And I've seen a lot lately coming out with him and the younger kids discovering him, never heard him before. And they're like, oh my God, this is so wonderful. And it's brand new to them, but so relevant still to today. Exactly. And that's, that's Especially a, it's heartening. Rare. Wasn't, yeah, one of the things they point out very well in the documentary is that it wasn't just George Carlin, like all the time. He started off as very much like clean shaven as you and partnered with Jack Burns for a while and was very much a up-and-coming Johnny Carson kind of guy. And then he just had that revelation of, this isn't all of me. I need to be able to express all of me and grew the beard out and sent all the signals. And now he was of the counterculture. And then it, it, three other transformations over the course of, I'm getting too angry. I need to find the funny, not just the indignation and the horror of all these things I'm predicting that are coming true that are not good things. And, and uh, like the fact that he was performing until he was in his 70s, and as you said, the young people discovering them, it, it must be a wonderful thing for the generationality that we have going on in the United States now, and not now, all of history has always been that the next generation is get out of the way, Gramps. You know what I mean? You have nothing left to offer. It's the new thing now. Here's our new slang. Here's our new interests and all that kind of stuff. But there can be that connection to this guy looks like your grandfather. And yet, man, does he have something to say? It's so wonderful. It can be a beacon. You know what I mean? That we don't need to get discarded. There might be some of us that are still topical, witty, interested, and interesting. You know what I mean? So it's a, he really, what an amazing sustained career for a guy that was always timely and topical and yet kept moving forward that he even talked about that. I don't want to be doing every time that he did his special, he pretty much just closed the door on that old material. He never repeated things. He was always right. prolifically writing the next thing and liked that because one of the things that we've seen, unfortunately, is comedians that tour with the same material as they did have 20, 30, 40 years ago. And maybe my need for surprise, but also my need for you still have something to contribute. You just have to dedicate yourself to it instead of coming out here and going on autopilot. You know what I mean? So it's so. like we just went and saw the big stadium tour with Leopard, Poison, Motley Crue, and Joan Jett. Okay. And Paul and I were talking how Def Leopard did great. The others, eh, not quite as bad, though Motley Crue sounded better this final tour than their last final tour. I will say that. But we were making the observation that Motley Crue has not put out an album in 20 years, and they're still playing the same songs. But when they played the songs, it was the record cut, and that was it, and nothing different or whatever. Whereas Leopard had a show, and it was a little different than the last time, and they had new material because they keep releasing. And just, yeah. But uh, unfortunately, they put Motley Crue last. And when Motley Crue was playing, we left early. And oh, the amount man. of people streaming. Who had top billing? Have they sold more records? They are. Oh, I don't know. But okay. when we were leaving, it was like people were just streaming out. There was so many people following us. Like, Let's get out of here before the crowd goes. We're not right. as interested in Motley Crue. We've, we've the last seen Jeff Leppard, who is yeah. kind of who we came to see. Exactly. Right. Okay. Wow. I mean, we stayed for about half of their set and heard a couple of the big hits. And okay, let's go before the crowd. Yeah. But I hardly ever do that. I always stay to the end. But I can also see four bands is a lot. And depending on how much stage time they each had, a four-hour show can be its own exhausting. You know what I mean? You're a lot of your own energy. Oh, this was six hours. 
and, right. and wow. we were in traffic for a while before that and we knew there was going to be traffic it was already 11 o'clock and i'm like if we leave a half hour early we'll get home like 12 30 if we leave in a half hour we're gonna get home at 2 30 the Forget difference is all that time yeah, yeah. so but, uh, just a throwaway thing but it's important that colleen and i see shows at playhouse square we have the series tickets and various other things we pick up and one really good habit that we've acquired now is at show's end, we don't go to the car and sit in the parking lot waiting for everybody else to get out. We take a walk downtown. We refamiliarize ourselves with how beautiful downtown Cleveland is and go to Public Square and just tootle around. And when we come back then, wow, there's only three cars left in the parking lot. There's not that, I don't want to breathe in exhaust. I don't want to get honked right. at. I don't, and we just yeah. go home. So it might be that we spend, we want to, 30, 45 an hour walking, which is something we want to do anyway. And then it makes the entire experience for the night not end with, that frustration of absolutely you know. <laughs> okay. and it, there was a lot of people in that stadium uh, yeah, yeah. It's, but it's not a stadium compared to playhouse square a stadium is what sixty thousand people or whatever it is i don't know how big uh, yeah uh, it, whatever the football stadium is it's a lot it was okay. pretty packed lots yeah. of people we'll be seeing the elton john show at the end of this month that's his farewell tour stop in and i'm anticipating it's going to be like two hours a show and six hours overall because it's going to be the hassle of getting in and out. You know right. what I mean? Maybe. Well, you'd probably be just drive. as well walking to get there. <laughs> we could walk. We could take a train. There's all kinds of commute that we can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I really need to start thinking in terms of Uber and Lyft in my life. When I go to California and I know that my father's car is waiting in the garage, I take a lift from the airport to my parents' house and then I have the use of the car. But that mentality should be everywhere. I don't, if I don't need a car everywhere I go, I could just lift everywhere. And then there's a certain amount of money going out, but it's not the, for $15, I gained four hours back in my life. That doesn't seem like a bad trade-off at all. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Well, that, I've talked with that about to Colin a lot because with his tracking issue, he can't drive, not safely at least. Uh, and okay. so he's like, I can't stay living in the country urban areas because you have too, to drive to get around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. He's like, if I lived in a city, I could walk, I could bus, I could get a bike. He said, I might try a bike, but he's still nervous about that. And when you look at it, if you look at your gas, look at your maintenance, look at the monthly cost of the car, look at parking. If you're in the city the garage or, parking, or whatever, exactly. Yeah. What is that? Six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. That's a lot it's, it's of an expense. It's not a small thing. That's right. right. Yeah. And if you do a bus. It's $50 a month and you can get around most everywhere and take Uber for the times you can't use the bus. You're actually saving some money. Tell you, we have made much good use. We've been to Toronto for the JFL festival. We drove up there and then parked our car and made use of it. When you're in a city that has good public transportation, it's just amazing how convenient it is. It runs frequent enough and the places are like they go everywhere and the places are safe. And it's just like, all you need is not even a big old map that you hold out. It's have an app and it'll tell you, hey, the next train is coming in and be on that side of the track. And we've gotten, we were really comfortable doing the Toronto Festival because we know the city and its ways of transporting so well now. It really is amazingly how it, how it emboldens you, like in any city that has that. So we were going to go to Montreal. That's now we're pulling back from that. But then also when we were looking for where we we're going to stay, we're like, okay, how close are we to trolley lines, train lines, bus lines, that kind of stuff, and use that as our way of getting around instead of having to be the overhead of moving and parking a car in a busy, big city. Oh. Again, 
happen again, I that would just be crazy, Mikey. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When we went to the New York Comic Con, we took the train, uh, okay. and that's where I found out that my daughter freaked out taking trains. So you know that was an experience. Let me tell you. But what's behind that? Like um, the movement of it, the sound of it. There's I something. don't know. There, she had several things she got very anxious about, and she was fine getting on the train excited and that but the minute the doors started closing she just started freaking out a little claustrophobia i'm trying to think is there a trainophobia metrophobia i'm trying to I, think what? yeah i don't is know well she used to thing? take horse lessons and she almost fell off once and then she was too afraid to do it again i kept trying get back on you got to do it you got to do and, it and, yeah and she tried and then she just was done so uh, something anxiety with that. So yeah, I guess yeah. everybody's got their things. Like I obviously, when you just mentioned in passing, I didn't know that Colin had a tracking thing that he oh. doesn't handle things appearing in his vision, moving and stuff. Yes. Or? So let's jump on that for a little second because it's probably of interest to a lot of people. Because thing. we're going to talk about brain things today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we found out when he was playing softball or not softball, hard, you know, hot stove league baseball, that right. he wasn't catching, he wasn't hitting, and we kept working with him, he just wasn't. And started noticing that he's standing there and you throw the ball and it lands over here and he doesn't even move that. It's like he's standing there and it hits. So we took yeah. him, got him checked. And the thing is, most optometrists do not know how to check for this. They can check your vision. So you could see or not distance like, and close the distance, a stable thing like the eye chart yeah not yeah. movement but oh. we went we found a doctor that understood these things and could test for various afflictions that most people don't know about and we found out he has a tracking issue and after talking with them and working with them confirmed that so essentially he could see something here and then when it moves it disappears from his sight like the opposite of a t-rex and then he right, see it when it's, right. <laughs> but then he can see it again when it stops and it's okay. not always completely gone sometimes there'll be flickers but it's a brain thing connected to the eye it, everyone says how often it samples how often it cicades right. because i know a little bit about this having studied display devices you right. don't have continuous vision you have snap 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 <laughs> and your brain continually puts that together with persistence of vision but if that doesn't take a sample often enough i could see how it would be like here and then gone and then here yes and wow and, and even driving okay. in the cars i'll say oh look at that sign he goes what did it say i couldn't see it because we're moving Interesting. and we try and explain that to people they're like just get them better glasses it won't do anything it doesn't fix the we issue never do that that's an interesting because really that if that's uh hooky in terms of yes crossing a street does he see a car and, and how does he judge how quickly it's coming so that he knows whether he can go or not for the I mean, longest time he was afraid to cross streets for that reason and yeah. in the last couple of years as he's older he'll go get the mail but he does he he stands there and he, he checks evaluates and he goes quick he's I'm going to run just in case. You know, you uh, can't trust yourself necessarily. You're, right. you're taking information, but not, okay, wow. Yeah. And it got me thinking too, that you take any thing we do, little things to big things with smelling, tasting, seeing, how you move your fingers. And there's somebody 
that has an anomaly of that or something that's a little different of that. It works differently of that. Exactly. And thinking of that is just crazy. The amount of variety that you can. There's a guy, Oliver Sacks, I think, was that his name? That he did, he had a whole bunch of great books about learning about the brain by studying when the brain isn't working correctly. I think yes. he's the guy that had the man who mistook his wife for a hat. Remember, that's a relatively famous title. And I, I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff because my mind works in odd ways compared to lots of other people. What do I have that sees the pattern more quickly or that sees whoever sees more colors instead of less? Do you have more rods and cones that differentiate? And right. you know what I mean, but not COVID raising the specter of, wow, what if you lose a couple senses? It's just amazing if I didn't have like, how many times a day do I smell? And it's like, okay, that trash needs to get taken out. Or did I spill something? It isn't only the visual, it's all those senses. And if I really started to have like only three out of five or something like that, it would rock my world in ways that I don't want to learn how to do that different. I don't want to be daredevil where the other sense and senses are enhanced. I kind of like my set. Or, <laughs> you know or, I mean? And even <laughs> that, you, we different people see colors in slightly different shades. And that's not uncommon and not even color blindness. Actually, my two eyes see blue differently. So if I look at blue with my right eye and then look at it with my left, I can tell the shades are different. Yeah. So it changes that. that. And and Brad Pitt just came out saying that he can't recognize faces, that he knows people by other factors that like living with Angelina Jolie or Jennifer Anson, whoever that he knows them because he knows they're going to be in the house. They walk a certain way, they move a certain way, and his brain picks up on these cues. And he may know you because he sees you at the bank and you're the bank teller. But if you run into him at the shopping mall, he may have no clue who you are. Exactly. And that's also tone of voice. Like Colleen and I contrast between, I have a really good visual sense. And if I've ever seen a movie, if I see a snippet of that movie, I can say, oh, that's from Jurassic Park 2 or whatever. Colleen is really great about voices. She can tell you that this snippet of voice is the same thing from what movie, from what person. And like whenever anybody on the phone picks up, she like doesn't need to have them say, hi, this is Alan. He really, from a few words, tracks really well on people's voices. And I don't think I have that. I appreciate different parts of voices, but I don't have confidence in the accuracy of exactly who and that I substituted for visual. So between the two of us, we're a whole person. (laughs) You know, you look at like artists that can draw, that they can look at something and the way it's in their brain, they can duplicate it in certain way on paper. I can't. They're like, oh, it's easy. Just visualize it. And I'm like, it doesn't click. It doesn't work for me. Now, I'm sure with some training, with some practice, and I could improve, but I doubt if my artistic skills will ever reach a level that people are being like, wow, that's a pretty amazing drawing. It might be, yeah. wow, that's better than the kindergarten stuff you were doing last year. But again, that's <laughs> a, another part of how your brain works. Different people exactly. see it different. Yeah. It, yeah. So. It's funny. I really love symmetry. And I wonder if that's part of, not only do I notice patterns, but I really want there to be like a completeness to them and stuff like that. And if something is asymmetric off balance there's just some little weird thing of that's not quite right and when especially when someone has a choice as to how they're going to do it and they choose to make it off balance it's what's wrong with you not what's wrong with me right (laughs) i I remember reading about a study once that they took 
the most beautiful people in the world. The celebrities that everyone said are gorgeous, the ones on the magazines, the best looking of the year, whatever. I took all these and they evaluated their face, like measured everything distance. And they found that the more uh, that your face is mirrored on each side the same, the more beautiful everyone can think you are. If you have one eye that's just a little to the left than the other one, we may not even realize it, but our brains know that. Or a nostril, Mm -hmm. your nose slightly, it makes less beautiful in the animalistic sense. Yes, that absolutely works for me. By that meaning, I'm pretty sure that faces are a big part of attractiveness. There's There's an overall thing of, I'm a guy, so what's shapely looks like, oh, she could bear me strong children. You know what I mean? There's that thing. But faces wise, I really, not only do I like that and find symmetry more beautiful, but I might all, almost be hypersensitive to when it's not, that it makes me think in my mind, not readable. There's something wrong with them. And people will give you a photo and you'll notice that one eye is a little bit more open than the other. And somehow that I notice that regularly. And it really throws me off and really makes me not as attracted to them. And please, all my friends, don't think that I <laughs> now you're a sea hag or something. You're not. It's just that I, for a while I thought, is that just how they do photos? That if you give like a semi-profile, that there's more light here than this. And so oh, this yeah. eye is a little bit like less open because you're sheltering it from too much light. But I don't think that's it. I think that, and maybe mine is, I really, I don't know that I evaluate my own face I think that I'm okay because when they've done the test where you look in a mirror and then you look at your mirrored self, it right. oddly different. So <laughs> I guess I have some reasonable symmetry, but I don't know, people that have like a beauty mark and it's only on one side, I noticed that in an odd way, like that isn't as happy for me. It's my problem, please, ladies hey, and gentlemen. Well, well you know but, I mean? and here's the thing though, that out Colin's eyes, you can't necessarily control all of that outwards, but we were talking about intelligence, brains, and autism and all that. This ties right into it because I've found for me that when I know somebody, uh, their personality or certain traits about them, that affects my viewing of how good they look and how attractive they are. Very much so. There are some celebrities that, I think I, I wouldn't, it's that, hey, if you could get the five top women in bed with you, <laughs> what would they be? It's just like that chat thing. And right. and people will name stuff. I'm like, really her? What? I'm not even attracted to that person because I've heard them in interviews. I've heard their way they talk or their viewpoints on life. My big example, and I'm, I hope she doesn't listen to this because I'm probably gonna get sued from her. But Kelly Pickler is a good looking woman. And a lot of people think she's really good looking. She sings and, and all that. But she was on Foxworthy's Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader show? And I found okay. there's the clip on YouTube. And they ask her a question. And okay, if you don't get it right, I, that's great. Not You don't have to know everything about everything. Not everybody can oh, yeah. be on Jeopardy, Alan. But, but it's the anniversary, by the way. It's oh, like the 90th it anniversary of what I was on. Someone just, I didn't notice it. Someone pointed it out that they arrived in their memory feed. Is, oh, we just talked about it last week. But winner, she, winner. <laughs> <laughs> she was doing well. 
Today is the anniversary. You're the winner. Tomorrow's the anniversary when you're not the winner. Oh, when I crashed and burned. Exactly that. <laughs> so I know I only won one. That's more than most of us. But when she was talking, they asked the question, and they always encourage them to t- do their thoughts out loud and talk about what. And what she was saying, I'm sitting there going, "You're an idiot. You're such a moron. You're not even <laughs> rationalizing this." To, I can understand the wrong answer if you have a good rationalization leading up to it. That's fine. But she, and since then, she's on her something. And I'm like, Ugh. and I've had people say, well, don't you think she's good looking? I'm like, no, not really. Because the personality, the intelligence, the interests or whatever yeah. turned me off so much that it overrides any plain physical thinking. You know what I'm saying? So that's my thing, which is. I'm, I'm sure weird. I have that for certain ones too. Where I found someone to be just that, either less intelligent or less empathetic, less less compassionate. Those things really matter to me. And so when I see, I don't know, Sarah Palin, other people, many people have mentioned that she's pretty, but if you've heard her talk about how she's a lizard human being instead of a full human being, she doesn't <laughs> have the compassion, etc. I colors everything every time I see her. Yeah, and, as if. I will never have to interact with 99% of the celebrities that are out there. But just in my regular life, it really matters to me that someone has a good smile, that their face is mobile, that they're not guarded, that they have appetites and they take on life enthusiastically instead of being shut down. I like that. I like when people give you a good hearty laugh instead of just a smaller chuckle. And I try to be like that. I don't think I'm a always controlling myself person. I tend to be pretty much you see on my face what I'm thinking and feeling. And the interesting thing, I was just listening to NPR TED Talks and stuff the other day, and they were talking about the birds and the bees, and they were talking about sex between animals, and it was weird, because like three programs in a row all talked about bug sex. And it was like, what is this, today Valentine's Day? But they were talking how the some of the birds in this particular guy was talking about birds that that when they're trying to mate, that the women are looking for certain things peacocks they have the feathers and bowerbirds build the nest and it's a flashy nest and all this exactly but what they're also saying i'm a good provider or i have good genetic stock or whatever else it might be and so they the the female birds go for that but they find some species where some penguins they they heat the stones and try and attract the women and they were saying how quite often in these big, large clusters of mating that there's plenty of male-male sex going on. And it's just, I'm not getting the woman and they're all good with that. But what they're seeing now is that some of the female birds will watch this. And when they see two guys, the one that they feel is more giving, they will actually be attracted to that because they're like, he'll be giving to our children, our mate, our progeny. And they use that as an indicator as much as anything else. And I'm like, wow, that's just so weird to think about. But yeah, that's more evolved than us. <laughs> so it was very weird. Thing. Yeah. Okay. like the, So this one bug that the, the women are more aggressive and want sex than the guys. Because okay. as part of the whole mating thing, the guys create this ball of protein that the woman the female eats while they're having sex. So if you create a good enough ball of protein, that's what she's attracted to. But it's one third of the insect's total weight. They're like, so for a guy, that'd be 50 to 70 pounds 
of protein they have to make to have sex. No wonder they don't want to have sex. Except that's what their purpose in life is. If you're a mayfly, you got only two days to get to it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that what's on your mayfly mind is be the attractive mayfly, be the attractive mayfly. You know what I mean? Find a mate, find a mate. And death watch beetles, they spend (laughs) 10 to 15 years in the little larva state eating the wood and then they become the male insect but they can't eat anything when they're like that so they have to mate before they die within weeks and there's so few of them that they may not even get the opportunity they're like so think about this female coming up and says yeah i'm not interested in you after waiting a week this is my one shot (laughs) yeah exactly Holly and I love watching nature documentaries and that, you know, that this, we're full of segues today. Yeah. One of the joys is finding out, boy, the world is an amazing place with how many different varieties of creatures and mating habits and habitats and whatever else it might be. And that every time that we as human beings try to say, well, this is like how you date the rules for how you attract a mate or whatever else it might be. It's like, all you got to do is look at nature and they try everything. Yes. They, and multiple things work. And so I I haven't had ever since getting humbled by nature. I'm like, doesn't it seem like just a matter of luck? I try to put myself out there as being a reasonable guy. And I am strong. I am swift. I am smart. But it's just a matter of, did you catch her eye at the right time? Was your tone of voice such that she would like it? Were you a good bread earner? Did you make her laugh? And vice versa. The ladies are all looking to be those various different things to the various different guys. And I, I go by for every kettle, there's a lid. There's just such a nice thing about how, I guess that is very natural. There's not like perfect birds finding other perfect birds, the Brad Pitt and the Angelina Jolie of the year. It's like the forest is full of birds that said, I think we should mate now. And yes, I would like to. And then they make a little nest and they successfully raise the next generation. And it wasn't this big, if anything, the people that, talk about that about got to find someone worthy of me my bloodline is pure my like what how full of shit are you you know what i mean because first of all anything that has to do with that the weird nazi weird the the, uh, eugenics weirdness it's i read about that in dune where the benet jesserit are trying to breed better better human beings reach the perfect human being and i'm there really is something for have a better chance of being a smarty if both your parents happen to have been smart but that there's such an amazing combination of our 23 in me chromosomes that you get all the various different variations. It isn't only about being a smarty. What hair, what hair color did you get? Did you get the right, did you have a good sense of balance? Name all the human characteristics. And then to see how many people pick one thing, they have to come from good Aryan stock. Oh, come on. That's just <laughs> like, you, you couldn't have picked a thing to make me think you're more ridiculous. Like, I just... And I don't know, if anything, there's a lot of proof that says when you do that kind of like finer bloodline, like in dogs, you end up, what a beautiful, perfect looking collie, but they have hip dysplasia 70% of the time because they're inbred. And that all those other breeds of dogs that have all their problems, and maybe human beings as well, the Habsburgs had hemophilia because they kept finding a second cousin to marry. And I'm simplifying this as usual when I say these things, I embrace the stereotype. It's not all true, but it's true enough that there are examples of you, you did it wrong you didn't have enough variation in the gene pool and now you're getting like endemic problems to your children and what was the healthiest dog out there a nice mutt that took breed characteristics from multiple things and that wonderful 
nature's wonder of how it mixes those things together, make it, you are more resistance to disease, you are better proportion, that instead of spe speciating towards, I'm going to have that weird, like slim nose of a borzoi or something like that. I, it sure seems that human beings, as we now also are having more and more, and this is mixed race children, they're beautiful, they're exotic. But they're not exotic. They're like how humanity should always have been if we didn't start to say that it mattered, that, that we are different colors and somehow that's a different breed of humanity. No, we are all homo sapiens yeah. sapiens. Absolutely the have same you in terms of our genetic potential. ever so. listened to a Radio Lab? <laughs> no. I oh, don't there's our the, recommendation of the week, Alan. You really need to look up Radio Lab. Out of okay. everything, you'll love this more than anything. Okay. It is an NPR thing. But they have a podcast. You can find it, Radio Lab online, and listen to all the episodes. But they each—it's not a documentary, not a sciencey thing. But they take all these topics and they explore them, and they discuss them, and they interview people, and they whatever. That's where I first learned about CRISPR and how CRISPR worked, and they okay. explored the ramifications of it and all sorts of stuff with it. But they had this one show, and you can find it if you look up Radio Lab on race and do does race exist in humans and they talk to scientists they talk to doctors they talk to biologists they talk to anthropologists and studying the past like your dinosaurs here we go again segue they talk to animals people and people and just covered the board and essentially what they came up with at the end was it's made up Race does not exist in humans. There is no different races. We're all the same with slight variations, but that does not make us a different race like it right. does in the animal kingdom when you have real different races. And I heard that show. Species. There's not multiple species of humans. Right. Whatever it is that kingdom phylogen, get down to this level and we're all the same. There's yeah. no different DNA based on uh, mon mongoloid, caucasoid, Negroid, or right. and, and what do you mean? Whatever they, anyway. Okay, and <laughs> the fact that I can name them is how much that's in our society. Yes, but it's just because they're a slight different flakes. Because they're a slight different, if we respond to our environment. So you have different eyelids or different hair or whatever else it might be, different skin color. But it was not because they're inherently different. It's because of the response to the environment, and then right. you in that environment for a couple hundred generations, and there is differentiation, but there's not genetic difference. Exactly. Okay. And that, yeah. I love that. So yeah, I'll put a link and you should look Radio Lab up because thank you. I will. Uh, yeah, I listen to those shows. It's a it's kind of like a TED talk every week when they do a show. So as, I actually as you might remember, I did an actual a TED talk about TED Talks for men. So that it was like I was finding such great, valuable stuff. When if you got 18 minutes to compress down this what you want to most contribute to the world, it's really cool how people have Right, accomplished people have shared that with the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? All and, the different, there's so many of them now that you really have to have a curation to be able to go find good ones. You know what I mean? But that's boy. what I was going to say. Don't lie. It's not if you have 18 minutes because you start finding those on YouTube or you get the you app and start, and you watch, just keep and going watch. and suddenly it's a brand new month. <laughs> like when they had those on, there was like a channel for the Samsung or something like that because that's the smart TV we have. We used to always use that as a like a palate cleanser between other things. You know what I mean? We'd watch a little TED talk at the start of the day or between other things. And we're working our way through. They had them, I guess, curated. They had them grouped. 
into various different things. So let's learn all about humanity. Let's learn all about engineering and that kind of stuff. And we, of course, while you're watching, they're adding to the end of the queue when you're taking from the start of the queue. So there are all those new sets coming out. And then they took it away and it became unavailable. And I actually had to like seek it out online. And somehow that was just enough that I didn't watch it for a couple of years. And as you might imagine now, the tide has come in even further. Yes. When I seek them out, I'm pleased that I'm doing it. And But I'm even more discriminating in terms of, let's see what Dean Kamen had to say lately. I'll look for specific people or certain topics or whatever. And I'm not sure that I'm serving myself because what I really should do is keep hitting that random button. Somebody bright enough to have been able, allowed to present at TED, one of the things I've never done, a little bit too expensive, a little bit wrong time of year and stuff, but the, they've been really canny about the invitees and how many great people have been there. You oh, want to yeah. hear Bill Gates talk about the biggest, most Bill Gatesy type stuff, watch his TED Talk. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and whoever Read else. His uh, books. Exactly. His books are amazing that he's written since he's been with Microsoft. Yeah. Very bright guy. Exactly. So yeah. it's. Yeah. How would you want to? Oh, well, are we already close. on time? Pretty close. Yeah. We got you mentioned Radio Lab. I'll, let me throw this out. I got a whole bunch of books for Colleen for her birthday, and I've done that multiple years. And a lot of times, what I'll do is, hey, when you're done with that, can I read that too? Because I didn't just get it for her. I wanted to read it too. <laughs> That's There's the a- best Homer <laughs> gifts, right? I, love, exactly. I think you'll like yeah. this because I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, hey, honey, I got you a new lawnmower. Oh, you utter bastard. But then, I got her a book called Word Slut three years ago. And Amanda Martell, I think, is the author. And of course, what I want to say is she's the authoress, because of course, what this book is all about is the vast changes that are happening in our, our semantics, our linguistics, our how people talk, and especially how much patriarchy, etc., is embedded in language in many different ways and in our language styles. So for instance, how you and I talk, taking turns, and I try not to talk over you and you over me, that's very much a guy thing. Whereas she talks about how gender speak can be different, ladies will continually have little affirmations while it's going on and not interruptively, but just there's a coming to a shared idea more than each person presenting their take on things. And of course, again, stereotypes, not everybody's like that. Not every guy is a guy. Not every lady is a stereotypical gal, but it really has interesting and enlightening things about what we're seeing in like the last 20 years, the last 40 years as feminism and awareness of ladies' role in society. And I hope you don't mind my using ladies. It could be female, it could be woman, whatever you'd like to do. I am trapped in some ways. I'm 62. So I learned a certain way of speaking and writing. And I'm really, I think, playful. And I do continually take in new and modern, but I don't know that I'm woke in terms of I really embrace certain things and have abandoned certain things. I work on it because I don't want to be exclusive or an ass in terms of the things that really will make people angry over, I'm still saying Oriental instead of Asian, or still saying gal, if that's a now thought to be bad connotation instead of (laughs) that list grows on sex and all those kinds of things. And so the book has an agenda, and I'm seeing that sometimes some of the examples that she uses, they're not complete because I can think of counter examples, but she doesn't. But I'm not trying to be contentious. I'm really trying to be, how are we using different pronouns? And I want to be able to let people name what they want to be called, and I'll make use of that. There is a little bit of a weirdness and a distraction for, please don't keep changing it because then it's, I didn't mean to offend you, but two years ago, you told me this, and now you want this. Yeah, and I did yeah. get the memo about how the changes happened. 
And so sometimes those things are not only put up as a way of integrating society, but as a way of jargon that, that builds individual segments of society. And that by my clumsily using old fashioned and old fashioned being two years old, that doesn't seem reasonable to me. But it, it's absolutely, so far, I'm like two thirds of the way through, worth reading about the scholarship that went into. Here's, wow, there's maybe a hundred different ways in which women being sexually active are a, a negative pejorative type things. The slut, the word slut, the slut, the hussy, the whatever else it might be. Whereas for guys, they're not usually pejoratives. They're actually like, oh, you playa, you hound dog, you know. Right, that. Right. And so I, it's nice to see the burden of proof that she puts forward to be like, wow, I don't know that I started off agreeing with your premise, but the numbers speak, the dictionary speaks, the semantics speak. And so I recommend it in terms of if you want to get an idea of what's going on in the earthquake of language while it's rumbling, this and various other books about language and semantics, and especially from that feminist or at least equalist point of view, they're really good. They're, it's very good to know these kinds of things. You know what I mean? It's funny. I don't mean to offend usually, but it's also when I am corrected in a way that's that's not what I meant. You're using me as a foil, as if right. I'm the pig. I'm not the pig. So I don't want it to be that it's ever disproportionate. I'm happy to change, but I'll change at my pace, or I'll change that if I slip up. It's not that I've suddenly gone over to the bad side, or that, and if anything, because I'm funny. I use the entire vocabulary because once in a while, it's amusing to call somebody a exaggerated stereotype word because that starts the discussion going, or it points to the radical behavior should have a radical word that goes with yeah, it. Yeah. Probably one of the big things I do is I call guys gal things all the time because, you know what I mean? It's and not in a, oh, what a pussy way. It's more like that's guys should not be able to get away with that so many female connotation things mean weakness, that there's a certain amount of, because I'm playful and because I want to, words can be used as weapons. And once in a while, guys really need that. Guys are full right. of bluster and full of interruption and full of, you know, I have the stage and you're not taking it away from me. And it's like, wow, there's nobody that needs interrupting more than you if that's how <laughs> you're thinking and acting. I, I'll have to look that book up or another because I've got a friend who absolutely drives her nuts, everybody using the word conversate. She's I hate that. It just drives her nuts. I'm like, you understand, though, that if people are using it and it gets in the common speech, that it's going to get added to the dictionary and then it's going to validate that, yes, this is part of our speech and you'll be in the wrong. <laughs> that drives her nuts. Uh, there's this, that's how things change. That's how words change. That's how the vocabulary and speech changes so, exactly. all the time. Uh, she has a very good chapter. And this was a particular thing of mine that there's all kinds of filler words and, and that I have often thought, and not only I thought, I read and they were portrayed as, well, that's lazy. That's, you're not getting to the point. You're not speaking efficiently. And really what it seems to be in a lot of cases is there's a style of speaking that is about building consensus. And maybe that's more of a feminine than a masculine thing. And that they're not meant to waste your time or delay you. They're useful in ways of, if you're speaking like that, another person has that chance to participate in the shared speech with you. 
It's an invitation instead of, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm not a good speaker. And I have to kind of still get my mind around that because I still notice that when someone uses too many likes, if you will, it sounds hesitant and pausey. And did you not think about what you were going to say before you started talking that you couldn't make it five words in before you had to get to a pause word? And yet there's a certain amount of checking in about that and other things that they talk about up speak where you ask it as a question and i tend to not i tend to speak more declaratively and more and it's not you know, the opposite i'm not pompous in how i speak i think i'm relatively playful but i need to get my mind around that my initial reaction is not the only thing that's going on there that i as you said if language is changing to include that and i like wow i just sort of really bright lady speak using those things so it can't be because she doesn't know what she's talking about that she doesn't know what she's going to say before she says it but it's a style that right. there's now and it is a very interesting the stereotype of what used to be sadly aggressively called ebonics that there's actually a african-american vernacular experience there's a language that goes with aave and i hope i got the correct abbreviation there that there really are language differences between saying he is and he be. And in my mind, I was like, oh, that's such a not right thing. And yet, there really are differences. There's a reason to use that. And I'm learning. I'm learning that my, I don't know, white male radio announcer way of speaking is not correct. It's not the only way to speak. You don't all aspire to be the CEO of a company, and then you have to be able to speak in a way that you're ready to take the lectern, not the podium, and grasp it firmly and then orate, that there's all different kinds of hats you can wear and different guises that you can have. And that if you want to communicate, then think of who your audience is and think who you are, that you want to be with them and adjust as appropriate. It's not a sellout. It's being a good communicator. And, you know what I mean? So <laughs> when we speak right now is an amalgamation of the last 200, 300 years of people coming to the country from all over and how it's evolved anyway. It's just, this is what's bubbled up and why it is this way now. That's right. It's and, not just the last 20, it's the last 50 and 100 and 300 right. and a thousand years of how English became English in the first place. You know what I mean? That it was ang anyway, that I love books like this about semantics and language and where we got what we have. And I don't know, the word hussy comes from housewife. It's like, how did that shift to be so such negative. a bad connotation from such a normal, if you will, right. a starter word and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes it's nice, has a whole different meaning nowadays than it did for five different previous incarnations. Right. And just that I love reading about these kinds of things and hearing the either the explanations or at least the best explanation that they have because it varies based on English is not the only language in the world. When you read about here's not even Western languages, but all over the world that there's different connotations for male, female speak or for how many, how you treat your elders, how you treat how, what terms of respect there are, or I just, I love that kind of stuff, being aware of it. And then being able to be, do I make choices or am I always on my default setting? And it, it's funny as much as I want to be, Hey, I'm the hip old guy that can talk to the youth like Carlin. There's a certain amount of, if I started talking really young, people give you the look. Right. It's like, you know, you don't need to fake that you're a punk nowadays. You really right. can be an adult if you want. I'm aware that 
my playfulness has to be like 10 or 20%. I can't entirely switch over. Well, that would look ridiculous. You know what I mean? <laughs> you mentioned those, those filler words and, and stuff. And right. the thing is, like the podcast, there's a program I can run the podcast through and it flags those and will automatically take them out. So when someone's listening to our podcast, we don't say like this it, when I say it, it, and it takes those out to make us sound much more intelligent sometimes. But I also, for my writing, have a program that will flag all of those things like and that and was and things that they tell you to take out and it can do it and help you identify it. Take, yeah. take it out for and you. there's a difference between business writing, if you will, and casual writing and that kind of stuff. So I could see how I might want to up my game and I don't know, my vocabulary is pretty good and I have my own self-taught, like I try not to use the, if I'm writing a three paragraph thing, you won't find the same word repeated. I really try to tap into my inner thesaurus and all that kind of stuff. And I vary my sentence length and I, I do things that will keep it interesting, perky, that it'll be, make for good reading. And I think most of the time I succeed. I think I'm a pretty good writer. But if I was to try to if a program told me that's at about the sixth grade level and you could go to the ninth grade level with this, it'd be like, that's unexpected because I'm already using a pretty extensive vocabulary and right. I'm already doing my clauses are good. My sense of time well, and making things match in plurality is good and but, not perfect. <laughs> but yeah. you may run into that opposite effect hitting the other side of that bell curve. Because most people reading it is at a certain level and understanding is a certain level. So if you go higher than that, so if most people are reading at a seventh grade level and you're writing at a 10th, they may actually perceive your writing as less than it is because it jump, it's jarring, it jumbles mm -hmm. in their brain. They don't, some of the words don't mean quite what they think or they don't get how the whole sentence makes sense. And then they actually view the writing as less than it really is. That's something I've learned. You got to, Right to for wow. your target. I hear you, but and you know what? So that what a sad thing that like, hey, <laughs> I didn't get it, and so there must be something wrong with it, not wrong with me. You know yeah. what I mean? I didn't get all the vocabulary. Who's yeah. this guy putting on airs as opposed to maybe I should pop into the dictionary and learn what the word alleviate. That's means. what we always do. Yeah. All right, hey, before we go, yeah. I just literally before you came on saw a news thing that Toys R Us is coming back for Christmas. Not the big full-fledged stores like they had. They're going to be small sub-stores in Macy's. So Interesting. So like a pop-up shop. That yeah. Was, okay, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Just like the spirit of Halloween stores that all of a sudden exist for the month of October and then right. go away. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, so. but it's going to be Toys R Us, the official brand, which I, I loved Toys R Us when I had the kids. There was nothing more fun than going, walking around Toys R Us with the kids. Exactly. Hey, everybody, pick out what you want. It's like, oh, yeah. Paradise. Okay. Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium. There we go. <laughs> All right, man. Okay. Take care, Stephen. See you in yep. a week. Talk okay. to you later. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, relentlessgeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, join the conversation, and Go check out our YouTube page where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.